This is Women's Tech Radio, a show on the Jupiter Broadcasting Network interviewing interesting women in technology, exploring their roles and how they're successful in technology careers. I'm Paige. And I'm Angela. So Angela, today we're interviewing Darcy Friedman, and she works at the same company as me. Um, she's actually my boss's boss, so it's pretty fun to get her on and talk about uh, some of the awesome ways that the company was founded and how we've involved women right from the get-go and um, all the kind of cool things we do as a company. Yes, indeed. It is a good interview. But before we get into it, I just want to mention that you can support this network and this show by going to patreon.com forward slash today. I think our lowest subscription, and you might be able to go lower, but our lowest subscription is $3 a month, and that supports all the shows on the network, keeps us up and going. We have a lot of technology podcasts, uh, other ones that you can check out in addition to Women's Tech Radio, and uh, just show your support for the show there. And we got started with the interview today by asking Darcy what her role is at the company. I manage a team of about a dozen people who handle the acquisition of content uh, for a proprietary platform that is targeted towards non-legal regulatory professionals in the compliance arena. So a lot, a lot of big data. Wow, that is a title. That's great. Yeah, that says a lot and like nothing at the same time. Like it's I know and it's so beautifully jargonized. It is. Yes, that's exactly. So for full disclosure for everybody on the show, uh, Darcy is actually one of my bosses. And so we work for the same company. Um, and I am one of those people that she manages in her awesome way to help acquire this content. Although you make it sound like we're pirates. Kind of like it. We're going to acquire <laughs> content. Which we're not. We, yeah, we I use, know. We use open government data to do this awesome yes. work. Right. So. So I, I know, Delcy, that you have kind of an interesting, non-traditional story, and um, you are actually not a technical person by background. What is your actual background? All right, here it is. It's interesting. I am a, an attorney. I am a former litigator. Actually, the way I say it is I'm a reformed litigator, which um, if you were a legal audience, you'd be laughing hysterically at. But um, I, I was a health lawyer, and um, basically I had the the corporate job where the hours were enormous and the time commitment was just huge and it just took a huge chunk out of me personally to do that and I was you know I I really enjoyed it but after I had my first child I just really didn't see how I was going to jive practicing and that level of commitment and kind of the drain on me personally and in my you know, personal life um, and with how I wanted to raise my child. And so I actually stopped working for eight months after I have had my first child and I didn't do anything. And that was really weird. Except be a parent, which is a full-time job. Which is enough. Well, (laughs) right. Yes. I didn't do anything for air quotes work. Um, Of course, I was doing a ton at home with my son and, you know, had a kind of extreme situation with his birth. But when I started thinking, you know, I would like to get back to, um, you know, my intellectual pursuits and and start something professionally, I I had, um, you know, a relationship with somebody and he had a, a startup company. And it was in the health arena. And he said, why don't you come work for us and start doing some writing? 
you know, you're a subject matter expert in, you know, this area, come on and do some writing. And so that's how I started. And I actually worked with a couple of other attorneys at this startup. And, you know, anybody in startup experience knows it's kind of all hands on deck. You go in, you're, you're not in a defined role. You, you, you throw in, you know, any help you can render in any way that is needed at the given moment. And so I started, you know, learning about the platform, how how we acquired content for it, um, and, and things just kind of snowballed from there. So this was a tech startup that you got involved with? Yes. And then it was later, I think it was 2007, we were acquired by a large Dutch-based publishing company. And you know, I've been, I've been at the company for almost a dozen years now, and it's been really interesting time to watch, you know, publishing and traditional, you know, kind of print-based communications and tools and the transformation of that into electronic products and workflow tools. And, um, you know, so we, we kind of we were this startup that was acquired by this big publishing company and we really pushed the envelope because we didn't, you know, we didn't have, um, you know, this huge project plan with dates planned out for 10 years. That's just not how we operated. And we really kind of were, we got, we were known in the beginning as a bit of rabble rousers because we didn't conform to this kind of corporate ideal and the normal way that a publishing company did things. Uh, it's almost like you you get to come in with you know we talk about technical debt and it's almost like the the other oh. company had publishing debt they did mm-hmm. and they still do i think most publishing companies are still working to move towards electronic but to me print print was something that i had only done you know in my legal background and it was not something that i did at this startup we were all electronic um and the indeed the person who founded the company was uh, had another company, another startup at a different point in time, and he was the first person uh, to put the Federal Register, which is this huge daily document that the federal government puts out that that says here here are the laws and rules and regulations from all of these agencies for the day, and and that used to be only in print. I mean, just huge rainforests um, <laughs> that were killed. You know, publishing that, um, and he put. Um, that federal register online in electronic form, and um, and so he was he was very innovative, and he had this fabulous model which was exactly in tune with what I wanted. He thought there are all these really really talented technical and non technical women that want to raise families and want to have a great work life balance. And he hired them and he hired them into all of these different kind of scenarios. You could work from home, you could be in the office, you could work at night, you could work, you know, during the day when, you know, your children were sleeping, if you were at home watching them. And he um, really capitalized on a lot of talent um, that otherwise really didn't have an outlet or a place to go. Oh, I didn't, I didn't know that actually. <laughs> That's really fantastic. So do you think that made a huge difference with the way the company was kind of founded and got started like to have that flexibility but also to have that that female talent onboarded so easily um it absolutely did and i have just um you know i benefited from that model and um and it is is exactly how i operate today 
And um, I mean, in fact, I think when I came on board, other than the actual founder of the company, I don't think that there was, there was only one other man. Everybody else was a woman. Um, and, uh, and they were all over the country. Um, you know, at that time, I think it was Denver, Denver, Colorado, Maine, New Hampshire, Texas. Um, and that, you know, is still the way kind of I operate today. I just want people that are really talented and there are a lot of really talented women out there. Um, but there are these kind of barriers that, that we bump into. So, right. So Paige was kind of, she just briefly kind of talked to me about what you guys do and, and it definitely applies to me or applied to me, I guess. I worked in the medical industry for a while and I, I got to learn um, the, the retail sort of side of it. And what we would do is we would go onto like the DSHS website and print out these massive fee schedules, like you said, a, a forest, you know, and yes. everybody would have one at their desk. And we had these like desktop things where you could um, hole punch and then slide sections in. And it would be about 12 inches long, right, of just full of all these different things. And we'd have to tab the pages. And, of course, they release a new one almost every quarter. And how how does what you guys do change that? Well, in the beginning, what I, because your example is right on. I mean, fee schedules, code books, that's right up our alley. We have a whole line of coding and reimbursements uh, products. So I actually have to fight against that, you know, that type of, um, you know, historical perspective on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And I, and I think I, this just happened to me yesterday. I will literally have people that, um, scan and PDF pages of the hard copy code book and send it to me and say, it doesn't look like this. We need to make it look like this. These are people that I work with in the products that we're developing. And and I have to say, you know, no, we're not trying to make, you know, the the online electronic experience and looking at a book, you, you have to move away from the antiquated notion that all you've done is take the book and put it up online. I mean, that's a PDF. Right. That's very different from a, a workflow tool, a book that is an electronic format that you can actually use. Um, so, you know, that's something we're constantly struggling with. And, you know, the way that we kind of get, I, I push the envelope, but we ask those questions. Why? Why would I reproduce exactly what's in the book? Right. I mean, unfortunately, I have to buy, <laughs> I buy those books so that I can say, but yeah, look, this is, this is, it, it doesn't work the way they've set it up. Let's restructure or modify, you know, some of the meta tagging so that we get, you know, search results in a certain way and kind of get people away from the notion of, oh, the book is electronic, it's online, but it should be exactly the same as the hard copy. Right. Well, and to support that, um, what we'd have to do, like specifically if we were shipping diapers, um, there's a lot of age restrictions and quantity restrictions on that on a monthly basis. But also certain um, ICD-9 codes have to be used with it. And then that determines some, or, and then also HICPIC codes. So you have to use the fee schedule, the ICD-9 book, and the, you know, and so having an online, none of them say, none of those, you know, like the ICD-9 code doesn't say, you also need to, you know, choose 
this HCPCS code with it or, yeah. you know, this right. quantity limitation. And so what I did, um, which is like pseudo what you guys do, is I modified our proprietary software um, so that it had identifier codes that would automatically tell the customer service rep, hey, it has to be this diagnosis or hey, it's this quantity, you know, you can't have more than 150 or whatever. Like, so I tried like, and I made a cheat sheet that combined all three of those resources that really helped streamline it. But I am super excited. Like I, I really want to check out your product now because <laughs> I think it could really help. Um, and I'm, I still have a relationship with that former employer. Yeah. So that's hilarious. You just named like three of the things that make my head hurt because I go in and, and I'm the yeah. person that does all the interlinking between ICD right. and toads and HICPICS and yes. our current regulations. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's a lot. And, and we, we do have um, a set of tools and a set of um, reimbursement calculators that we've developed that work as Paige just indicated in conjunction with the more explanatory material you might right. need out of the code book. Yeah. And so we put in, you know, different um, elements in the UI that flag things for folks. Exactly. Right? So, right. you know, a little red flag, literally, um, you know, if you want to, you know, code this, you have to think about this. Yeah. Uh, it's extremely complicated. I will, I will tell you, I had, um, this is something that that I fight against a lot. It, um, it, it's really interesting. I have really, really talented developer types that we work with, and we're doing a revamp of some of those tools and calculators. And we have a database fellow that, I mean, he knows the ins and outs of Medicare and Medicaid and all of, you know, ICD-9, ICD-10, HICPIC, CPT. I mean, he just knows it. He has a subject matter expertise and then he's a database guy. And we hired him specifically because of that expertise and he was getting pulled in all of these other directions. And I kept hitting a wall. I, I kept saying to these folks, you know, we need, uh, we need this fellow back to work on these products. He was hired for this. Oh, these, we have other database folks. They're used to working with really complicated data. Um, they, they can, you know, dig into it. And we exposed it to them and they were like, wow, the, the, the healthcare, Medicare, Medicaid, medical coding, reimbursement payment is extremely complicated. And they backed right off and said, wow, you really do need to oftentimes to have some underlying subject matter expertise in order to handle this type of data. Yep. Yep. And I know if, um, I worked on a federal grant in King County for a little while uh, here in Washington called New Freedom. And uh, I was actually the pioneering purchasing agent for that. And I would meet with the um, people going on onto the program and try to figure out what they should use their government dollars to make them more independent. That was the new mm -hmm. freedom part. And um, it was really hard because I'd come from mainly the retail side of, of, of things, not necessarily services. And now I could offer a wide range of, you know, like they could do hydrotherapy or massage or different things and it was so hard to find the fee schedules and know that I had the right one and um, you know figure out what what they could get covered and not have to use their dollars for. So we've kind of talked about two different angles of your job, like you work with a publishing company and you work in the medical field. Which of the two do you think it's been harder to drag into technology? 
I would say publishing without a doubt. And the reason for that is simply financial. For Medicare and Medicaid, the government has, you know, generally when they make a change and they want they want a program or a payment system to go electronic um, and, and be more modern in that sense, they do incentive programs. So we will pay you more if you move in this direction. And then they have a period of time that's kind of then the incentive payment goes away. And if you aren't where you need to be from an electronic perspective, you will get um, a a um, a penalty. So that's how they do it. So they've been, you know, providers and, and folks in healthcare industry payers, payees, they've been motivated by dollars. Um, publishing, I think it took them a long time to wake up to the fact that they weren't going to be able to sell books in on paper forever. I mean, really. Yeah, I have to say, being in some of the meetings I've been in, it was really surprising to me that like, you know, meetings this year, people are still talking about growing the print publishing business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know that our company has made it a decisive part of their, you know, BDP to to move um, from print to electronic. And and you know, you the the, the dollars um, show that that's where you need to be, and not just electronic, right? So we need to move beyond. You know, I tend, you know, we, we all fall prey to using these these terms, but not just electronic to workflow tools, things that you can that just integrate, I mean, into your job and make it easier. And, um, and you know, so that's where that's where we hope to be headed. You know, there's a lot of uh, there are a lot of barriers there, but, you know, there's some really good things that have been going on, too. Um, we um, not on the page, page not on the team you're on directly, but uh-huh. on some of the other teams um, that I manage, we have we have started with Agile Scrum, and and that's helped a lot, um, and and brought us a lot forward with development activities. But you still run into some walls with management who want a nice waterfall timeline. Mm-hmm. Speaking of, what is Paige's? Work ethic. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd slide that in there somewhere. That was very subtle. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right? <laughs> well, you know, so here I will kind of indirectly respond to that. So <laughs> we are a thin and trim team of people, and we handle a huge volume of data compared to some of our counterparts in other parts of the company. We we may have been rabble-rousers initially, but when you look at our, our bottom line in terms of the number of people that we have on the team and the actual content that they process, the, the volume of data is just huge compared to some of the other parts of the company that really get bogged down in process. And so to that end, we are a highly producing team and it's to be, it's because of the people. And I really think it's because they have a lot of flexibility. You know, I always say when I'm when I'm hiring somebody, you know, I you need to have some core business hours that you're available for meetings and, and whatever else. But 
you know, I'm flexible. You can work when you want. Um, you can work the hours that you want. And, you know, we have some of those mad programmer types who are working at 2 a.m. And that's when their, you know, beautiful stuff is outputted. Um, and then we have others who keep to a more traditional schedule. But I think that in part it's that flexibility, that recognition of creativity, which I think people don't often think goes along with a tech role or a tech background. I think they, you know, think of some, you know, person in front of a, a keyboard and, you know, all these, you know, white numbers running up on the screen. But there's a lot of creativity in tech. And um, I think you just kind of have to let that happen. And out of it, you know, these amazing things come. And that's what I think of my team and everybody who's on it. Yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, the flexibility at the company is what keeps me creative, keeps me going. So I totally mm -hmm. agree. I think the being a modern facing company and having a remote workforce and managing it so well has been an amazing experience for me to be part of. Um, I really, you know, I wasn't sold on remote work before, but now mm -hmm. it's, I mean, it's part of my life. Yeah. I, I used to, you know, I think 10 years ago, I, I mean, I was working remotely 10 years ago. I think that, um, now, you know, 10 years ago, people used to say, you know, working, you have to manage that and working and not everybody can work remotely. Yeah. You know, everybody can work remotely. Um, you, you just have to have management and a team that are in communication. And, um, you know, that's all you really need. There's a, there's a lot of to do that's often made about remote teams. And, you know, a lot of that is logistics. And I, I don't really think that people need to be in an office as long as you've got the open lines of communication going. I think then you're good. Yep. What, is, what tool do you use most to keep in communication with your team? For development purposes, we use version one for all of our tracking of our of our backlog items and we it has a conversation tool and we use that i would say primarily yeah, and version one for people who don't know is an agile software development process management tool is it a the, the number one or spelled out do you know number one? Oh, it is uh, spelled out it's spelled out yeah. <laughs> well, you had a 50 50 chance there page <laughs> yeah. i think it's, it's bookmarked all... on my browser okay <laughs> <laughs> i think it's all one word too with the oh good yeah version yeah. one yeah so, um, and, you know, and then of course, you know, we use some of the other, you know, uh, you know, chat type of tools, but I would say in version one, there's a lot of conversation that happens in that tool. Um, there's a dedicated, uh, kind of team meeting room that you can design and, and we use that quite actively. My team uses Skype a lot. Mm. Yeah. So Darcy, we've talked some about being the small lean machine team inside the bigger company and being kind of a, originally founded as a women-centric company, like have you found transitioning into the bigger company with kind of its more traditional setup with gender norms, like difficult or have you had any like pushback there? It's a yes and no answer. <laughs> so the head of our company is a woman. The head of the business unit that I'm in is a woman. Um, but those aren't per se the tech, you know, or parts of the organization. And so, you know, from that perspective, it, you know, that's really heartening that I work for a company where the CEO is, is a woman and, and the, you know, the lead in my business unit is also a woman. And there are several other women in, um, in key roles. Um, not as much um, in the 
in the technical part of the company. And um, and that's been a little bit disheartening. We did have, you know, we had a kind of a restructuring in the last few years. And I remember my first exposure to the more kind of technical unit that kind of came out of that and, and going into a meeting and being very excited and having the head of that put up um, a slide deck so that we could see who all his people were. And I just remember thinking, wow, that's pretty white and that's pretty male and middle-aged. <laughs> and it was, you know, it was really a little off-putting. And, you know, so we're working to change that. You know, I, I have a lot of really talented people on my team that I can see moving up through the ranks um, that I try to get a lot of exposure to. I think that's one of the things that, that, I really try, I try to do it for my entire team, um, is really get them exposure to the other uh, parts of the company and other other technical groups and, and organizations in the company so that they can, you know, as, you know, hopefully rise up through the ranks. But I think there are unfortunately some barriers there. And, you know, I've experienced them myself. Um, sometimes they're really subtle. Sometimes they're more overt, like a you know, an org chart that reveals that it's just all men. What, what would an example of a subtle one look like? Actually, it just happened fairly recently. Basically, we had, there was an issue, a technical issue, problem with, uh, with a resource, and he was being kind of cross-utilized, and we needed him on something, and he was supposed to be a dedicated resource to our project. And myself and my kind of business counterpart, who happens to be a woman, reached out to, you know, our appropriate chain of command and, and flagged the issue. Ended up uh, in a telephone call with um, a bunch of other senior level managers and myself and the other person who had, you know, raised the issue. And I got on the phone and it was just one of these conversations where it start, it, you know, it's a very subtle thing and it has actually been in the news a lot lately, a lot lately, this notion of, 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 um, subtle prejudice or subtle sexism, the, the the Google conference that they had, right, where their CEO kept interrupting their, their CTO. Um, and he did that much more than he interrupted anybody else on the panel. It was kind of one of, th you know, things like that where they just, they weren't aware of the nomenclature and the tone with which they were handling the conversation. And, you know, it was instead of it actually being an issue, it was, let's get on the phone, ladies, and let's talk about the facts. And let's try to tone down the emotion. It was, you know, that kind of tone to the whole conversation. And I just kept getting angrier and angrier as the conversation went on because I thought, I don't understand what's going on here. I have a valid issue based in, you know, hard, you know, kind of numbers that I can show to you. I, I'm not being emotional, you know, it was that kind of thing. And I, I called them out on it and, you know, I instilled a lot of panic in the few moments that I called them out on it. But I just said, you know, I, I, I need to raise your attention to an issue. And I don't know if you're aware of what you're doing here. Here's what you're doing. You're, you're starting the conversation off saying that we need to talk in facts, somehow suggesting 
that the two women on the phone and the issue that they have raised is not fact-based as opposed to, you know, it's more emotion-based. And then you're using language like that. I think we were described on the phone as acting like the walking wounded and, you know, needing to tone things down and ratchet back the rhetoric, all of these kind of um, you know, phrases and terms that you would, you, that I just was like, okay, well, it's not 1920. Right. Meant to knock realize, you down the peg. Right. Real, do you realize what you're doing? And I had, you know, calls, with, you know, of course they freaked out, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because I called them on it. And um, I had a couple of good calls afterwards with the the individuals that were on the phone one who was who was very thoughtful and said look i i didn't realize what i was doing but i have four daughters and they're just starting their careers and i want to understand where you're coming from and what you you know what you're thinking and and you know explain it to me and we had a really great conversation And, you know, the other person I think uh, that I had a conversation with, he thinks of himself as a lot more evolved than he actually is, (laughs) Um, tried to tell me that that's how he always runs his calls. And if I'm on call, you know, with, you know, other folks, I will see that they are run indeed the same way. Well, yeah, either way, you know, regardless of if you're a woman or not, that's not an appropriate way to handle a call. No. I agree. I agree. But I mean, it definitely has that related to kind of, you know, patronizing and, and, um, you know, let's, you know, you guys are emotional and you can't really handle this kind of thing. And I was like, whoa, what is going on here? So, you know, even in a company that, you know, is, is, is trying to evolve, you know, those kinds of things happen. And to me, the most important way to handle those things is to call people out on it. I think we have developed in some way this culture that where you get this negative backlash for saying anything, right? And uh, I'm just not going to be a part of that. If I feel uncomfortable with the way something is going down, um, I'm going to let you know. If you see something, say something, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I totally, it's the biggest problem with privilege is that you don't understand that you have privilege if you have it. Like the only right. way to see it is to not have it. Right. Yeah. This or is, to be called on it. Yeah, or that's, yeah. you know, exactly. Perspective shift. Yeah. You know, it's it's our responsibility to, to participate in the conversation. We can't just sit back and say we wish things were different. Right. Absolutely. Awesome. I think it's really important. I have these two little, you know, I have two, I ended up with two sons and, a male dog and two male cats and my husband oh my <laughs> who's like this alpha male and it I, I'm you know I work really hard um in, in you know in trying to you know call their attention to these kinds of things um even if it's just you know just really simple language things Thank you for listening to this episode of Women's Tech Radio. Remember, you can go to jupiterbroadcasting.com, and from there, you can do the show drop-down and find all the Women's Tech Radio shows. You can also use the contact form to contact us directly, or you can email us, wtr at jupiterbroadcasting.com. The Jupiter Broadcasting website also has our RSS feed, or you can find us on iTunes. We're also heywtr.tumblr.com for transcripts of the show, or you can follow us on Twitter at heywtr.com.